0: Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.org. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Well, everybody admires a person of resolve. People who are determined to give it their best and not be deterred or dissuaded by other things. Not easily disturbed. I thought it was interesting that Christopher Columbus, who journeyed across the Atlantic, kept a journal on that first trip as he dared to cross it. Perhaps the most interesting thing to me was there were some days when Chris wrote in his journal, Today we sailed on. There are times in our lives when there's no sign of success, things don't seem to be laying out, things don't seem to be putting into place, things in fact may look pretty bad. And we just need to sail on. Arthur Paul J. Meyer said that 90% of those who fail aren't actually defeated. Mm-hmm. They simply quit. I think one of the major barriers in our spiritual lives is that we quit sailing on. We're not accustomed to sticking with commitment very long, and when serious temptation or trial comes, we cave in. If our country experiences uncertainty, We get panicky. We are called to resolve. The greatest example of sheer resolve is Jesus himself. From the moment Jesus came, began his ministry, he was resolved to die for the sins of the world, scripture says. Jesus said, I have come to give my life as a ransom for me. That's why I came. He was determined to die an atoning death on the cross. And everything in his life was calculated for that hour. Which is why the gospel writers tell us so much about those hours. That's why we read Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem in the middle of Luke's gospel He set his face towards Jerusalem. Even though his disciples counseled him, you better not go there now. Things are in an uproar. That's why he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, basically proclaiming to be the Messiah. It's why he went into the temple and drove out the money changers. It was going to force the religious leaders to make a decision, to action. And it's why he told Judas, his disciple, What you're about to do, go ahead and do it now. And it's why he prayed in the garden on that night. My heart is troubled. But this is the reason I have come into the world. And when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he offered no resistance. And yet he said, no one takes my life from me. I give it up on my own free will. Today in Luke's gospel, the 22nd chapter, we come to the trials of Jesus. We want to spend some time walking through them. Jesus actually went through a series of uh, religious and political trials on that night, just during that one night. Each trial ended with a verdict of guilty. Not because his enemies were so clever that they caught him, but because Jesus resolved he was going to die. And I hope this morning as you see his resolve to die for us, that you become resolved to live for him, regardless of the adversity that may come your way. The first thing Luke leads us into is the mockery of the soldiers that Jesus endured. In verse 63, the guards in charge of Jesus began mocking him and beating him. Now these were Roman soldiers along with some Jewish soldiers from the temple guard. And their job was to make sure he didn't escape because they were waiting for the Sanhedrin council to gather together for their, uh, their, their, their night meeting. And the soldiers relished the opportunity to exploit the power they had over Jesus. Jesus even though he hadn't been found guilty yet. So they ridiculed him. They made fun of him. And when they got no response, they hit him with their fist. And he would not defend himself. Verse 64 says, they blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you? Who hit you? And they hurled terrible insults at him. Now, when you read something like that, you know that it is the sinful nature of people that belittles an opponent. You see it readily in our own politics today, on both sides, to be so cutting and sarcastic. And this anti-Jesus crowd hated him so much, they were determined not only to defeat him, but to belittle him. So they blindfolded. God the son. And they smacked him with their fist. And they laughed. Asking, who hit you? You're supposed to be a prophet. You know so much. Then you tell us. Who was it that hit you? And when he didn't answer, they said, we'll give you a second chance. And hit him again. Don't you imagine as you read that story, as you contemplate what's going on, That right about that time that there was a legion of angels who drew their swords. Who were ready to wipe this world off the map. The old hymn we sometimes sing is, he could have called 10,000 angels. But he died alone. For you and me. He had resolved to put up with the mocks from the soldiers. And if we are followers of Jesus today, it's likely that we are going to have to endure some mocking as well. Some of it may be good-spirited, but some of it is mean-spirited and straight from the adversary, and it's hard to swallow. But we need to remember that Jesus said, "...no servant is greater than his master." If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they mocked me, they'll mock you. It might be at school. It may be in business. It may be in some social setting you're in that you'll be laughed at or ridiculed or maybe simply excluded. Some deciding to give themselves to the Lord in baptism like we saw Ellie earlier may find themselves being taunted by others, maybe even family, because we chose to follow Jesus that way. And we're all tempted to retaliate in some way when that happens, but the principle that we learn from Jesus and his actions is, don't try to get even. Leave justice up to God. Peter, his apostle, later wrote, for God called us to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. So Jesus endured the mockery of the guards without retaliating. Secondly, Luke shows us that Jesus endured this the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Verse 66, At daybreak, all the leaders of the Jews, elders of the Jews, assembled, including the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, And Jesus was led before this high council, it's called the Sanhedrin. It was made up of 70 plus religious leaders who had, as a group, rejected Jesus' claim to be Messiah. For they anticipated a political figure, a powerful political figure who would bond with them immediately, not who would take up the case of sinners and tax collectors. And they anticipated him coming from royal lineage, not born to peasant parents and being laid in a feeding trough. And they anticipated, well, what they didn't anticipate, I guess, is the jealousy that rose up within them. How threatened they felt. How blinded they were by their own prejudice that they couldn't see who he was. And they successfully had Jesus arrested in order to silence him. Now, the court was not supposed to meet at night, and it was certainly not supposed to recommend a death penalty at night. It was against their own laws. But during this night, they conducted two different religious trials, one before the high priest Annas, who had been deposed by the Roman emperor earlier because of his lack of cooperation, but he still had a high respect in the eyes of the Jewish people and then second, and, and got a guilty verdict, I should say, and then they took him to Caiaphas, who was the son-in-law of Annas, who, who was not respected so much by the Jewish people, but he was a pawn of Rome, and those trials were held at night so that the followers of Jesus wouldn't even know what was going on until it was already over. They'd already had trouble with one who had drawn a sword, who knows what would happen if if they had time to organize, so they Hypocritically violated their own rules, but to make it appear legal, they waited until sunrise to issue uh, to issue the, the orders. Their official accusation, religiously, was blasphemy. Blasphemy. If you go over to the Old Testament, Book of Leviticus, Chapter Twenty Four, it will tell you blasphemy comes with the death penalty. In verse 67, Luke picks up and they said, tell us, are you the Messiah? And he replied, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer me. But from now on, the son of man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. Jesus knew that the hearts of his accusers were corrupt and that they, would, they had already rejected all of the evidence, but he does quote to them two messianic prophecies, one from Daniel chapter 7 and the other from Psalm 110. They knew exactly what he was saying, so they all shouted, So, you're claiming to be the Son of God. And all he had to do was keep quiet or just utter the word, No. Instead, he replied, you said it. Verse 71 Why do we need other witnesses? They said, We heard it ourselves. We heard him say it ourselves. And they declared him guilty without bothering to investigate to see if the claims were true what, or, or, or investigate the miracles that he had done or, or the tes- uh, testimonies uh, that others brought from what he had done. His sinless life. His influence. They hypocritically declared him guilty of blasphemy and shut it down. Jesus endured the hypocritical trials because he was resolved to die for the sins of the world. And as followers of Jesus today, we will sometimes have to endure religious hypocritical people. Somebody uh, posted the other day God, save me from your followers. Obviously, that's meant as a cut towards Christians. But the real reason it hurts is because there is some truth in it. Christian people are imperfect. Christian Christian people will disappoint you sometimes. The person who you thought was saintly turns out to be self-centered and shallow and hypocritical. Christian leaders are not always what they appear. Some are downright phony and manipulate people. Others, well-meaning, but they suddenly fall into a moral failure. But all of us are flawed human beings. Even the Apostle Paul discovered that. If anybody deserved to have some tender care about him, Paul, the last time he was in prison in Rome, found that, All of the Christians had forgotten about him, it seemed. And he wrote this to Timothy. The first time I was brought before the judge, nobody came with me. They all deserted me. Listen, to be a follower of Jesus Christ calls on us to have the maturity to endure the imperfections of others and to put our true hope, our confidence In Jesus Christ alone, just as we sang a few minutes ago. You don't see Christianity at its best when you're looking at Christians, but rather when you look at Jesus Christ. So Jesus endured the mockery of soldiers, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, and then thirdly, Luke shows us that he endured the superficiality of politicians. In chapter 23, verse 1, the entire council took Jesus... To Pilate, the Roman governor. One commenter, one commentator, says about Pilate that he was an anti-Semitic Spaniard, appointed by Caesar to govern Judea, but he lacked dis- discipline, di- diplomacy. Excuse me, and he even made some unwise decisions. And as he tightened the screws of the Roman authority, he even had some murdered. In Some Jews murdered in Galilee, and the state over which Pilate served was in constant turmoil because there were a number of revolutions in Judea under his rule. Caesar just kind of left him by himself, left him alone out there in Palestine, and he was under, in, under investigation. And likely his days were numbered. In fact, historians tell us that shortly after the crucifixion of Jesus, that Pilate was dismissed by Rome, he was banished to Gaul, and, and finally committed suicide. Well, Jesus was brought to Pontius Pilate for one reason, and that was permission to be executed. The San- Jewish Sanhedrin had limited power, but... They could not, so that they could not administer a death penalty, but they did have the opportunity to bring him to the Roman government and have them try himself. So once they found him guilty of blasphemy in their own trials, they had to find him guilty of something for Rome to agree to allow him to be executed. So they drummed up two additional charges to to, to bring him before Pilate. Verse 2, they began to state their case this way. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he's the Messiah, a king. Well, the first charge is obviously false. Uh, We remember just a few days earlier, Jesus said to them himself, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But they were throwing, what were they doing? They were throwing the spaghetti against the wall, as we say, hoping something sticks. The Jews knew that Pilate had them over a barrel. Excuse me, just the opposite. The Jews knew they had Pilate over a barrel because Pilate had already been accused of things. He had already been reprimanded by Rome. And and the last thing he wanted was another uprising under uh, under his rule. But neither did he want to condemn an innocent man. Pilate had been approached by by his wife earlier that day who said, I had a nightmare about this guy you're dealing with. You should have nothing to do with him. So Pilate was afraid of the people, but he was also in a way afraid of Jesus because of this, but he he was on a spot. However, he was a politician, and he specialized in being noncommittal. I thought this was interesting. Somebody had captured some uh, vague comments of politi- uh, politicians recently, and here are three. First of all, one said, "I didn't say that. I didn't say it. I said that I didn't say that. I said it." I'm not going to repeat that. <clears throat> but what he did after, right after that, he said, "I want to make that very clear." <laughs> Another one said. I'm not sure I understand your question, but I agree with you. <clears throat> and finally, outside of the killing, we have the lowest crime rate in the country. Pilate was a politician, and he wanted to find some way to get out of this difficult situation. And Luke records at least five ways that he tries to get off the hook. The first one, in verse 3, he just tries to dismiss the charges. So Pilate asked him, look, are you the king of the Jews? And he said, you said it. Pilate turned to the leading priest in verse 4 and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. I'm going to dismiss him. But verse 5, they became insistent. But he's causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Don't dismiss this guy. If you do, you're no friend of Caesar. Well, secondly, he tries a referral in verse 6. Oh, he heard Galilee. Oh, he's a Galilean. Oh, well, when they said he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction, and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. He was there for the Passover. This is the same Herod who, who had ruthlessly executed John the Baptist not too long earlier. Pilate breathes a big sigh of relief, realizing this guy's a Galilean, He's not in my jurisdiction. I'm sorry I want to, but I can't do anything. We'll have to let Herod decide this. Verse eight, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard him, he had, he had heard about him and was hoping for a long time to see him perform some miracle. Herod looked at him like he was an entertainer, like he was some kind of magician. And in verse 9, he asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer him. Which you can ask, why didn't he say something? It may be like this old saying, if you wrestle with a pig in the mud, you'll get dirty, and the pig will enjoy it. So Jesus refused to answer Verse 11, Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus, and finally they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. And verse 12 says, Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies, became fast friends that day. But Pilate hated to see him come back because now it was back in his court and so A third tactic Luke records in trying is amnesty. Look at verse 13. Pilate called together the leading priests, the other religious leaders, along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence, and I find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. And then a mighty roar rose up from the crowd, almost with one voice shouting. Okay, you need to understand something here, first of all. He needed to diffuse this patriotic uprising of people during the Passover season because I told you last week, how many hundreds of thousands of people had gathered in here? This it was way too many people in Jerusalem for something like this to happen. So Pilate had the brilliant idea to offer a choice. Either Jesus or the most despicable prisoner he had in his prison, named Barnabas. Or Barabbas, excuse me, different guy. Barabbas. Verse 19: Barabbas was imprisoned for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. So the next tactic, he tries to reason with the mob. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Here's your king. Kill him and release Barabbas. Verse 20, Pilate argues with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? you got to hand it to Pilate. He's done everything he could to try to release Jesus and save his own skin. But you can't reason with an angry mob. They were driven by hatred and driven by emotion. And so he, fi- he tries one final thing, and that is he tries to appease them. Verse 22, I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged, and then I'll release him. Now that makes no sense if you stop and try to analyze it, because if he's innocent, why punish him? Why flog him? But Pilate is desperately trying to appease the people, trying to give them enough so they'll settle down. He'd have Jesus severely scourged, betting that that would lessen their anger and calm them down. It's easy to read those words, but it's difficult to imagine the horror of the scourging where they take a leather whip embedded with bits of bone and lead and they rip the flesh off your back. Luke gives very little detail of that. I'm not sure Luke, being a physician, could have laid it out step by step, but he doesn't. But afterwards... Pilate brings Jesus back out and says, Here's your king! But the mob, verse 23, shouts louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. So what's the outcome? Well, as followers of Jesus, we will sometimes have to endure the superficiality of some political leaders. Right now, our nation is in turmoil, in tension. The world is in turmoil. It doesn't take very much news to get the picture of that. And so I remind you, do not put your trust do not put your confidence and hope in political leaders, regardless of which group we're talking about, because both of them, either of them, were tempted to advance their own agendas, not the agenda of the Lord. Only Jesus is worthy of your complete allegiance and confidence. Only he endured the suffering and died for your sins. Only he will never leave you. And never forsake you. Are there other trials threatening to discourage your spiritual life today? I I bet there are. You probably may have not seen them in some of these things. It may be financial problems. It may be emotional stress. It may be physical pain. It may be overwhelming grief. Or even family worry. My admonition to you this morning is to sell on. And if you want to submit to Jesus as Savior and dream- demonstrate that resolve today, as Ellie did a few days ago, we would love to invite you to do that. A couple of our elders, Brett and, and Bob, will be up front here. Kern, Sutler's in the balcony, and Bobby Hooten will be in the prayer room off to the south foyer here in the living room. And we would love nothing better than to pray with you, share with you, and help you take those next steps. Of following Jesus maybe maybe to strengthen you and encourage you in that the Lord is at work he is living and alive in your life today in this place today we're going to sing a song as we close that reminds us of that may he work boldly and firmly in you as we stand together and sing thanks for listening again I want to encourage you to visit southplains.org where you can find all sorts of information, including how to contact us and how to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.